Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Past. Uh, we have recently done a full launch of the podcast at our church. We are super stoked to see our listener base grow. Um, I'm thankful for all of you who've joined us on the journey. But before we go too much further, how's your week been? Uh, my week's been good. Time with family was just amazing, as always. Uh, we had a lot of fun. As a bonus, we got to see some very good friends of ours and see some former church family from when we lived up in that area where we went to have our family reunion. Uh, but really cool thing about church family, and uh, uh, praise God I can say this about my actual family as well, is we get to spend an eternity with them. So in saying that, I'd say be good to your church family. We're just practicing for heaven here, folks. Uh, I'm going to jump right in this week. This will be our first foray into a new type of psalm. Uh, they're called the penitential psalms. This is a psalm where David really just kind of pours his heart out, recognizing how he sinned against God. It's going to be a difficult one, uh, but stay with me. It will be a profitable one as well. Have you ever committed a sin so great that the weight of it just kind of felt like it was hanging around your neck? Uh, it was like a chain. Just kind of carried it with you, and you you drag it everywhere. Uh, you feel like it should be pretty obvious to everyone, and to some it may be, but really it's most visible to you, and it makes you feel, and it makes you feel really self-conscious, dirty, uh, just not whole, not righteous. It, it it makes you feel like God is looking right at you around every corner. Not really in a way that he's going to like bring a hammer down on you or anything like that, but you feel like he definitely could if he were so inclined at this time. And it, it just starts affecting your mood, your life. It affects your relationships. You just seem to always be on edge. And you know that if you would just give it to God and acknowledge that you've broken that fellowship, he would take you right back under that protection and you would feel whole again. But you're not there yet until you are. And this right here is where we meet David in this psalm. He's there. He's ready. He can't take it anymore. He's been depressed. He's been moody. He's been off. Enter Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O God, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I'm weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed swim. 
I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxes old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. You know, this is, this is gut-wrenching stuff. And while we're no poet like David, well, all right, some of us may be poets for sure, but it may be difficult to see the anguish here clearly because of the prose that's being utilized. So let's kind of bring it home for ourselves. I'll bring it home for me, okay? There's no doubt here that David's been struggling with some sin. And immaterial of the sin itself, he's come to a point where he's just ready to restore that relationship with God and make things right. And as he views God in all his glory, he realizes, you know, God could justly smite him down and just kill him outright, and he would be completely justified. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, this was a big sin. God's definitely going to punish me for this one. What makes us think it has to be what we would consider a big sin? The fact is, even the whitest of white lies is enough of a sin for God to judge us and punish us with death. Fortunately, His grace is greater than our sin. And this stays his hand for the believer. We've been forgiven. We've been made righteous. We only need to reach out and restore that fellowship. Now, truthfully, there are sins that just seem to get in the way of our clear vision of our Christian life. We see how horrid they are, big or small, and it can be overwhelming to realize that we can never be good enough without the one who is actually good enough, and so much more. If we would only take David's horror over his sin to the same lengths when viewing all of our sin, and then once realizing how deviant we can be, looking to God for restoration and acknowledging that we do deserve to be punished. Lord, I know I've done wrong and deserve that hot cleansing fire of your wrath, but please have mercy on me. Lord, I looked when I shouldn't have, said what I shouldn't have, had thoughts that I shouldn't have, gone where I shouldn't have, done what I shouldn't do. I'm wretched and unworthy. Please find it in your heart to withhold from me exactly what I deserve. Show mercy to me, because I'm weak. And we're so weak. And sometimes we're weak because it's easier to give in than not. Oh, this coworker made me mad again, and I would, if I would have taken a beat and had a quick chat with my Heavenly Father, I would not have blown up at them and made myself seem very petty. 
I'm weak because my spouse left this thing or that thing somewhere where it wasn't supposed to be, or I had a hard day at work and they didn't do that thing at the house they were supposed to do. So I just took it out on them in silent hostility the rest of the night. I'm weak because my kids really wanted me to do something I had promised with them, but I've just had a rough day and I don't want to. So I yell at them or I break a promise to them because that's easier than mustering my strength to be the parent I need to be for them. I'm weak because my brother or sister was specifically doing the thing they know just sets me off. And so I went off because that was easier than showing them the grace that you've shown me before, Lord. So yes, I'm weak. Show me mercy because I'll continue to be weak despite my best efforts. And that weakness will sometimes break things inside me that you'll need to mend. So heal me, Lord. Mend together the broken and the crushing anxiety that floods my life and drills down to the marrow of my bones to where I can feel the anxiety and the fear as if it were physical pain. It's an anxiety over my perpetual foolishness that makes me feel like so much less than your child, like I'm so undeserving and so worthless. Heal these parts of me when I'm broken, Lord. And I've got news for you. We're all broken. We all struggle. We all struggle with worth. E even as Christians, in the depravity of our heart, the devil will plant doubt. Our flesh itself assaults us. How could he love you? Wow, would you sin like this if you were saved? Now, what would God think of that? And because we're shaken to our bones in this anxiety, our souls become anxious as well. Well, I can't take this to God. What will he think? I need to hide this, like bury it really deep. Maybe if I bury it deep enough, I'll never think about it again. Well, I, I can control this problem and cover this sin without God's help. That way he doesn't have to know about it, right? Well, why would we ever want to deal with that kind of thing alone? When we fail to operate and handle our sin in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just pushing a problem for later. It becomes this little ball of despair and personal torture that vexes. It, it causes a continual point of anxiety for our souls. And this is the same thing that Paul warned the Thessalonians of when he said, quench not the Spirit. You know, the Lord's not going to impose himself into your wallowing. How long will he let this go on in your life? Well, until you come to your senses by coming to him, Christian. He doesn't need to return to you, friend. You need to return to him. 
David's plea shows how desperate he was that he turned the avenue around. Lord, if you'll just return, my soul would be delivered from this anxiety. The road was completely backwards for him. Lord, if you could just take this sin away from me. Well, in order for him to take it away, you have to give it up. In order for it to feel like he's returned to you, you have to turn and face him. He's been there all along. Oh, save me from my sin for your mercy's sake. To which I would say, the saving can only be done if you reach out your hand. You know, David really wasn't allowing his actions to match his words. It's pretty easy to say, God, take this thing away from me. Save me from it in your mercy. But it's much more difficult to let go of it and to let our iron grip relax on that thing. The Lord isn't going to, he's not going to pry the sin from your hand if you want to hold on to it. Have you ever been so ensconced in sin that it felt like you might die from the anxiety it brings to your life? David was so torn up from his sin, he felt it would kill him if the Lord didn't do something. Oh, Lord, I won't be able to remember all of your tender mercies should I die. I won't be able to praise you from the grave. You know, David kind of seems to be bordering on the melodramatic here. He was, I mean, he was passionate and he was given to very extreme language in times of distress. Are we that much different, though? Lord, if you don't help me out of this pitiful situation I've put myself in, I just don't know, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me, Lord. Could, could you help me now? Let me give you an example of something. We should all have some kind of memory of this, whether from our childhood or from being a parent. A child is told multiple times not to touch the hot stove while something is baking. Don't touch that. You'll burn yourself. That's hot. Hey, that's hot. Don't touch. That's hot. You'll get an owie. Don't touch that. That's hot. And inevitably, some child touches it anyway when it's hot, and the, immediately, and the immediate cries ring out for the parent to come save them, to, for the parent to return to them in their distress. Meanwhile, we have to understand, they walked away and into the kitchen. They looked at the stove and looked to make sure the parent wasn't looking. And then they reached out and placed their hand on the stove. And they wailed in pain as exactly what they were warned of happened. Well, who did the punishment come from? Because as a parent, we run to the rescue, we scoop them up, we console them, we give or acquire the care that they need. We don't punish them because they brought the punishment that they needed to never reach out to the hot stove again on themselves. We only want to make them whole again and let them know that we care for them. 
And right here, enter David. Enter us. Lord, this is going to be the end of me. This situation I've gotten myself into, this is going to be the one that finishes me. But withhold your wrath from me, because I wouldn't be able to worship you from the grave. Lord, I need you to do something because of this thing that I've done. I know you know about it. And up until this point, it seems like David is more afraid of the punishment than he actually regrets the sin. All the way up until verse 6, he's asking God not to punish him for the Lord's tender mercy's sake. He knows he's done something wrong. He knows that he can't escape it. Lord, I want to return to you. Let me do that. But when we look at this psalm so far, what we see a lack of is repentance. Up until this point, we haven't seen any. So far, all we've seen is the sinner begging to be spared the judgment. And how many times have we been there? The sense of duty knowing that you've offended an almighty God and need to be forgiven for it, so you go and ask to be spared the punishment. This is what a Christian does, after all. Lord, just, just don't make the punishment too harsh. The anxiety of what you might do because of this sin I've allowed to creep in is causing me to live in constant worry of what you might do, Lord. Lord, are, are you going to take my job to teach me a lesson? Are you going to bring some sickness down upon me? Are you going to bring some trouble into my life? Lord, I won't be able to worship you in this life if you kill me. And then we see verse 6. And David starts in with, Lord, I'm so torn up about this sin that I drench my bed with tears and sweat as I lie awake thinking about how I've transgressed against you. Well, wait. Now the narrative changes. Suddenly, David's not petitioning to be freed or absolved of his trouble, his vexed spirit. His anxiety has reached a point that it has turned something in him. There's a shift here that we shouldn't miss. Lord, something's awry in my life. Don't pour your wrath out on me though I deserve it. Lord, what can you do to help me? Lord, I'm at a loss here. But no, that's not the story now. Now the story is, Lord, this is keeping me up at night. I'm consumed with thoughts of not how you could punish me, but how I've wronged you. No longer am I anxious for my sin. I, I know what I've done is untoward. I'm so tired I can't sleep. I cry in my sorrow for how I've wronged you. Lord, how can I return to you? 
I'm so convicted about this issue that not only do tears fill, fill my nights, but my days as well. When was the last time the weight of your sin caused your breath to catch and you realize, no, no, you're not just troubled. You're wrong. When last did you realize that in God's love for you, he was there all along? And he wept because of what you put yourself through with this sin. When did it break your heart realizing that God has redeemed you and already forgiven you for every sin, past, present, and future, and that you turned away from him, and yet he just wants to welcome you back in love? When last did the full weight of your sin not bring you to negotiating with God, but bring you to a point where you're really just opening up to God, recognizing you've been wrong, and letting Him restore and comfort you? When was the last time you didn't tell God you felt broken, but you came to Him? And there at his feet, you just were broken. This is the shift. This is where David moves from talking about how he feels about possible punishment to talking about how he feels measuring against how he's cast off the love of a righteous God in his disobedience. Mercy? God had already given it in his life. Lord, now that I see what I've done in the light of your goodness, I can't see anything else. Gone are thoughts of how you might punish me and fear of some retribution I perceive. No, now my thoughts are, God loves me. He's merciful to me, a sinner. You know, here David may even have stolen a line from Paul had he had it available to him and said that he was the chiefest of sinners. How real would sin become to us if instead of saying, oh, my sin isn't that bad, we were to say every single time, Lord, I am the chiefest of sinners. I've taken your grace and mercy for granted, and I've made a mockery of your sacrifice. And how are we measuring whether or not our sin is, quote-unquote, that bad? Oh, sure. I mean, comparing to other sinners, we may look a little less sinful, but the standard here isn't less sinful. The standard is Christ, who was tempted exactly as we are, and yet he did not sin. How do I measure up against that? Because in light of that comparison, it only takes one sin 
to make me the worst of sinners, not a lifetime of them, just one. Has it kept you up at night? Not the anxiety of what God might do, but the thought that you've sinned against your heavenly Father. That you've taken the blood of Christ and treated it like so much waste. This blood is the price that was paid for us. And yet daily, I can, I can say that I take it for granted. I slip and I sin and I think, well, that could have been worse, I guess. Not ever thinking, really, to call out to God and say, Lord, could you just purge that from my life? Does it blur your vision? Does the reality of how my sin mars God's view of me have the same effect on my own view of myself? Does my sin impact me in such a way that I can't even see to do anything else until I get it taken care of with God? No, I'm the one asking, and I have to say, no is the answer to that most of the time. I fall so short of where David arrives here at the end of this psalm. Because not only is his vision clouded because of the grief he feels over his sin, but every other sin, every sin from the past, they decide to show up like old enemies. Lord, I'm wretched. Not because you knew of my sin and because you may punish me, but because I'm actually really wretched. And Lord, I struggle every day. I can't get through it or past it without you. And it's a struggle. Man, is it a struggle. And let me tell you, your pastor struggles with it. Your deacons struggle with it. Your church leaders struggle with it. So why are you surprised when you do? Have you ever felt buffeted by temptation? You know, buffeted is just when you're being beaten on from every side. And in today's world, you can't hardly go a minute without feeling it. The pull of that ad that popped up on your phone. Well, not because of your search history or not because the algorithm saw that you've looked at that stuff before, but just because you're a man. The things that ladies assault your senses, even at the grocery store, the magazine article, 10 Sex Secrets Your Man Needs to Know. Teenager, the pressure of a world where everyone and everything is screaming to define you, and you just want to give in were it not for the Holy Spirit holding us back. And it would be easier to give in. 
But now you're equipped with the knowledge of how offensive it is to a God who loved you. Because the world doesn't love you. And I'll tell you, the world will lash out and try to get retribution if you go against it. But our God says, hang on. Yes, you did wrong. But I want to make you whole. I've already forgiven you for that. Give it to me. Come right over here. Your place in my family is not in jeopardy. Your eternity is still secure with me. Just obey me and turn your back on those things. You don't need them. The Lord says, let me give you what you need. And that should inspire us to do just as David did and stand up in front of his enemies within and without and say, depart from me. Get out of my life. Get away from my ears. Stop whispering all the ways you want to be good for me and how much fun I can have. Stop saying, well, everyone else is doing it. Get so far away from my eyes that I can't see you. I don't want to be able to hear you when you call. You're not allowed to take residence up here in this space. No, this place is a place of hope. This place is where my God meets me and he's on his way. No, scratch that. He's here. He's heard the voice of my weeping. You know, God wasn't interested in David's misery or anxiety because of his fear of being caught. And David had no triumphant words when he was pleading to not be punished. And now, here at the end of the psalm, he doesn't seem to care if he's punished or not. The Lord heard the cry of his weeping when he was broken because of the sin in his life because of how he had wronged his God. God is interested in repentance. It's in repentance that we have to sacrifice our desires to his. And until we reach a point of repentance, we're being obedient to confess to him, but it's just duty that makes us do it. When our heart is broken, when we're weeping from the realization that we were wrong, now this is where our repentance lies. When we see our sin the way God does as the thing that has broken our fellowship with Him, then our hearts attune to His, and we see that we need to acknowledge our wrong to Him to restore that fellowship. Now, here at the end, when David has left off with his posturing, now we see the penitent David. Jehovah heard my request. He's received my prayer now that I want to change and get those things out of my life. He'll help me drive them out because I can't do it by myself but I had to come to a place 
that I knew that they had to go. I look back at my own life and I think to myself how many times I've been frustrated that I haven't felt fellowship restored after asking for forgiveness in mere obedience. Not because I wanted forgiveness or even had the desire to repent. But that's what I was supposed to do. You sin, you ask for forgiveness, and God makes it all better. But you know, if we just study our Bibles, we would see that repentance is a heart matter. It's not a lip matter. I can say I'm sorry to God all day long, but unless I turn from it and really allow Him to change that portion of my heart, I'm obeying with my mouth, but I'm rebelling in my heart. What would my life be like if I truly turned from my anger? What would my life be like if I truly turned from my impatience? Would those around me see more of Christ in me? I mean, would the mirror of my life be a clearer reflection of the one who I say lives within me? Would I actually get to a place where I can be broken and spilled out for him? Would I be able to finally empty myself of all the things that cause the fellowship with my God and my Lord to be broken? And would I be able to find sweet peace resting in his love? Christian, what would my worship life be like if I started my Sunday this way and was able to actually hold on to that throughout the week? What would yours look like? Do you think that would make our enemies be ashamed and anxious? Do you think demons would tremble when we came around because the power of God was on our lives? What kind of revival would we experience if we all just stood up and said, I'm not just going to tell God I'm sorry, I'm going to be sorry, and I'm going to repent? You think that would cause some enemies externally and internally to turn around and tuck their tails between their legs and run trembling before a mighty God? Maybe the better question would be, do we think we can handle revival like that? Maybe we need to ask ourselves that question we may have either been asked by our parents or we've asked as parents. Are you sorry for what you've done? Or are you sorry you got caught? You know, David started out this psalm in anguish and anxious that he would be caught because he knew that God would catch him. 
But where he ended was broken because he knew he had taken the gift of mercy and grace freely bestowed on him and dashed it into pieces before a God who loved him. And it was there he found that the Lord restored him. It was there he once again felt the hand of Jehovah on his life. Are you ready? To let that same God make some enemies run? Let's be broken for him. Thanks for walking with me a little while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little further.